Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now, here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss. This is a special edition. We're actually doing a video call this time so that if you're listening on the podcast, you can certainly hear. But if you're watching, you can uh, catch it on the YouTube channel as well. And so my guest today is someone who's been on the show a long time ago, who's done a lot in this space over the years and has been a key part of the success, particularly in the board game space. And I want to welcome Dan Yarrington from Game Salute. Dan, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Richard. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, it's been a while. It's it's been the last time I saw you was two years ago at Gen Con, so I guess it might be two years. I think we've talked once or twice since then, but it's been a while. Yeah, I've seen you at PAX or something. I forget. I mean, we. That's right. That was PAX, but that was two years ago as well. Um, Yeah. So uh, things have changed, certainly. So let's uh, do a quick introduction. Most people who are listening or watching who are familiar with the game space are familiar with Game Salute, but give everybody. Uh, I got a lot of listeners who aren't familiar with that. A little, just a quick overview of what Game Salute is and is doing. Sure. So Game Salute is a publisher of tabletop games, and we sort of think of ourselves more as a platform. We started off doing media support back in the day, and then we transitioned into fulfillment. And then we started doing sales and distribution for independent publishers of tabletop games, and now we're a full-fledged publisher in our own right. So we both sell other people's games through our worldwide distribution platforms, and we make our own games and sell them. And that is, uh, has all happened, really. I mean, we'll go straight to it. This has all happened because of Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, we started uh, back pre-Kickstarter with, like, three clients. And uh, so they asked us to do some fulfillment and stuff, and that was right when it was spinning up. So we had Ella Minis, um, Puzzle Strike, and Yomi from Serling Games. It was actually, they're all right in your neck of the woods. And, um, and Alien Frontiers from Clever Mojo. And so Alien Frontiers was one of those first campaigns, and David came to us and said, hey, I think we had bought it because i also the CEO and founder of Myriad Games, a chain of local stores for folks that don't know. And so we had bought some copies of Alien Frontiers for Myriad Games from David. And he said, oh, hey, you seem to know what you're doing. Could you help me sell some more copies of this game? And I said, okay, how many more copies do you have? He said, well, I'm sold out. I said, well, that doesn't really help me, you know, so I can't help you sell more. But then he did the second printing, uh, and then they did the third edition. So I think we picked it up on the second printing. Uh, we were helping him with distribution because he realized that his garage did not have enough space for all the copies of the game. He had space for a thousand, but when he did like three thousand or two thousand or whatever it was, he did not have enough space for that. And, and Alien Frontiers is a pretty big box, so it's not like it's Elementis, yep. which is a tiny little card game. Yeah, um, right. So I was looking over to see if I have a copy here. I think it's out in the warehouse. Uh, which one, Alien Frontiers? Yeah, we got the new fourth edition, but even the old one was ten and a half inches square by two and a half, two point seven five. So mine's right down there underneath one of those tables. Uh, yeah, if, I can if, see if, it in high definition. Uh, somebody can spot it over there. So <laughs> let's talk about you know. And most people then. So there we go. There's a there's a background. Most people are familiar with that. Let's talk about what's going on right now though, because a lot has changed. We can't even go into how much has changed since uh, those early days, but. Uh, what is happening right now? What impact or changes or transformation are you seeing that's happening now that people might be aware of or interested in? So I think what's happening is that you're having a leavening of Kickstarter in general. What does that mean? That you are finally seeing some, the, the volume of projects has gone up significantly, but that's starting to plateau as far as quantity of projects. And you're starting to see the quality drop. Uh, and we're seeing that in the success rate, specifically in tabletop. We're down to, what, like 31% success rate now? So so when you say the quality is dropping, are you talking about the campaign itself or the quality of the product? And I, I would know- say the 
quality of the campaign has actually improved overall, but the quality of the product has has decreased. And really, it's just become that you've got so many projects. If you have 200 projects active on Kickstarter right now on tabletop, I think it's like 167 or something. But whatever you have, it is way more than when you had five. <laughs> like every right. time a new Kickstarter project came up before. So you look at things from a while back, a long while back, and you would go, oh, okay, this game would never get funded today. Like the standards have raised. But because there's so many games out there, uh, and you touched on this in your previous discussion with Robert about um, just how you know the standards have changed. So now you have to spend a lot of money to look like a big company, even if you're not a big company. Right. And that's not necessarily true. There's still independent companies that are there, but uh, but definitely the standards overall have raised. But the 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 quality the quantity of bad games is increasing as well. Okay, and that and that is a major hit. You know, Tom Vassell certainly talks about that a lot, but a lot of people talk about that that this polluting of the stream, so to speak, of all of this uh, crappy content that's going out there. But before we go on that, let's just take a quick look. I'm going to go out to KickTrack. I'm going to look at games, and I'm going to look at tabletop games, and let's just see what we've got there. Tabletop games right now, yep, 157 projects that are active right now, but that doesn't count. I guess that's... Pretty much gaming hardware, live games, mobile games, playing cards, puzzles. I'm glad they broke out playing cards. I hate that. Uh, yeah. So we got 157, and that's about every month, right? Because there's a 30-day, about 30-day window. So every month, about 157 new games are coming out there. Right, and that's where, I mean, I noticed it one day when it was 200. I forget when it was, a couple months ago. And I was just like, that's crazy, right? 200, like it used to be, you would just see every campaign when it popped up. So just by dint of the fact that there are so many games out there, and this has always existed. So people that think that this is something new because of Kickstarter, that's not true. I've been at conventions back in 1996, and you had all these terrible games. The difference is it's amplified. That's what it is. It's an amplifier. So you might have had 20 crappy games that were pitched or it came out in the back you know, 10, 20 years ago. But now you have like 150 games every month that are getting pitched. Is, so this, is this bad? Um, I don't think so necessarily. It's just loud. And so this has changed the environment on Kickstarter because people want to sift through things now and they can't necessarily do that or they want to support lots of things and they can't. And you're also getting some Kickstarter fatigue from backers where backers have that have backed things for two years, right? Maybe they've only received half of their projects. Maybe some of them have disappeared entirely. You've seen those stories. Some of them have just been delayed. You know, most of them, I would wager 85 to 90% of all game projects, period. Not even just Kickstarter. So let's, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about game delay because one of the challenges that we are talking about is, is this concept of late, that a project's late. Uh, game Salute carries a lot of games, and you guys do a lot of projects. And it's, it is a, a criticism, I guess, that's come under for Game Salute as well, right, that, that yep. the games are just taking so long to get, get out. I think uh, Chris, who was just on the show, uh, his project, he wasn't complaining, so I'm not going to put this on Chris. His comment, though, was that it, it took a year, right, from the Kickstarter to, to actually hitting the stores. So mm -hmm. when you tell somebody who's looking at doing their game and that you're doing it and you're experiencing this, these delays and these challenges, what is it that's, that can, people can look forward to? And what's causing some of these delays that Game Salute is encountering? 
So we're sort of a microcosm of the larger industry. And as one of the biggest players in that, we get a lot of the brunt of that, right? If you have one game and you're late, people are like, oh, that's okay, you're late. But we have dozens of games and we're working with all different independent creators. So there's all different reasons why it might be late. Maybe the designer didn't finish designing the game. They haven't provided us the content. That's a rare instance. Maybe the artist is delayed. That happens pretty frequently. Maybe there's production delays. And the sheer volume of increased games being produced has caused a lot of those production delays, right? You had factories that were producing maybe 20 different games in a month. Now they're producing 50. So they just don't have the bandwidth to do all of the administrative stuff for that. Now, um, are we speaking specifically about uh, Panda Games, which is really the, the go-to for most Kickstarter project owners? Sure. I mean, Panda, there's, there's lots of great publishers. We use Panda for a lot of our projects. They've actually just hired on a bunch of new staff to address that very issue, the growth issue, that they just don't have the administrative time. And they're hiring new staff over at their factories, too. So... I think everybody's just in this scenario of when you have rapid growth, and certainly we've experienced this, uh, growing hundreds of percent a year, you just have to manage all those resources, and it's really difficult. And it's difficult whether you're one guy making a game and you don't have that experience, or whether you're doing lots of different games. And so for them, they're the nexus point of getting lots. There again, a microcosm, maybe a very visible microcosm of the production side, but they are getting hit by tons of stuff because here's the challenge. I go out and I make a game. I get quotes from five different factories. So you're all those factories are providing quotes now for, let's say, 200 games a month or 150 games a month. But I, I as a company, am only getting maybe a quarter, 30% of that business that I had to spend time quoting on. So that's fundamentally changed. It used to be maybe 60 70% of the people that got came to you and gave you a quote for production, you would end up getting that business. But now there's so many people and they're checking so many places that it just overloads the system. And a lot of that's administrative, so that's something that people will grow to. Well, I've referred to it as the tsunami that was coming. For a year or two now, I've been arguing that the board game industry wasn't prepared for the tsunami that we saw at the tip way back or the beginning of it way back in uh, you know two years ago, two and a half years ago when you and I yep. started uh, communicating on a regular basis that we saw this thing coming and the industry itself wasn't prepared for it. Retailers are still struggling with this flood of new games online, manufacturing, logistics, all of that. Um, do we need to – is there a challenge then in setting expectations? I mean do you face a, a challenge of setting a realistic expectation where somebody comes to you and it's going to be hard for you to admit to them that, hey, look, your game's not going to come out for at least a year? Well, we've, we have started doing that a while back actually. Our submission form, if you submit a game to us, it says at the very bottom, it says, I understand that – it may be, even if my game's accepted, it may be up to a year before it actually gets to the active queue of making art and all that stuff. And then after that, it may be another year before it comes out. So we're trying to tell people right up front. And what's happened, if you look at our projects, we just shipped a couple projects early, which is a minor miracle. And the reason that happens is because when we first started, people would say, well, I've looked at this spreadsheet online. And it says that it's this many days for this and this many days for this and this many days for this. And so this isn't your spreadsheet, right? This isn't. Oh, your no, this is just like I'll go to a production right. and no particular place, but I'll go to Panda, for instance. They have a timeline estimate, right, on their site. And so everybody assumes that that's how long it's going to take. It's like a math equation. No, it's not. And that's why when we did our Life and Times of a Board Game, which you can find at gameslow.com slash progress, we did a big graphic that shows everything in die rolls. So instead of... 30 to 45 days, I think we put something like 1D8 weeks for shipping because it's not necessarily a fixed number. People want to add that up and say, well, then it's going to take six months for me to make my game. But they're not accounting for the artist got sick. We ran into this with Alien Frontiers. Uh, Mark, the artist who was doing all that art by hand, first of all, people just assume that like, oh, it's a hundred and something pieces of art. 
he'll just do that in like a, a, a month, right? It's like, no. Three, yeah, three pieces a day. Right. You've added all these stretch goals. And, and so that's a that's been a big thing. So the, the both the industry from the publisher standpoint and a lot of novice publishers and novice designers that have not gone through this process before, they're running into those issues and backers are, are seeing the reflection of that. So one of the big challenges with that timeline is that we've just extended it. So where we used to say six months, now we then we said nine months. Then we were running into, well, that's still not quite enough time because we had very successful campaigns. So really that on Kickstarter, it should be a range. It should say, here's what we expect it to be if we don't hit any stretch goals. Like if everything goes well, here's the earliest you could possibly have it. And if we hit a bunch of stretch goals and stuff, that's it's going to take longer. And so that's where you're running into a lot of the disconnect there. And that is getting easier now in that we're just setting a longer timeline. But then if you go too far, uh, we did this for nothing personal expansions. We took some flack for... We're making this a whole new expansion. It's like four expansions. There's two big expansions and two mini expansions. All the art has to be done for it. We haven't done all that in advance because in a lot of cases, it's custom art from backers, that sort of thing. So we allowed like 18 months, you know, a year and a half, because we know it's going to take nine months just to do the art, then production. And, so, and, just, way just, too long. and just so in case people who are listening, um, that was the name of a game. Nothing personal is from Steve Avery, Stephen Avery and Tom Vassell uh, mm -hmm. came out. You guys carried that. A year ago? Was that a year ago? Yeah. We published that uh, last year for Gen Con. It was the base game. Uh, did very well. Released on time. 1,300-something uh, backers. Very well received. We actually ordered way more than we thought for past Kickstarter, and we sold out. And so then we went back and we said, well, hey, we'd like to do some expansion. So let's talk about, let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. Uh, um, so setting expectations, we've got that down, that there's this elongation that's happening, particularly with you because of the number of projects you're owning. It might be different for somebody who's trying to pursue this individually. They might be able to shave off some of that time, but there's, they're going to encounter their own set of problems. Right. But let's talk about this – This because uh, I've been seeing this, and you can probably address this. The, the growing increase in the number of copies of games that are starting to be published, uh, because, because before – Here's where I'm coming from. Before it was, you know, a thousand copies if you get away with it, 1,500, and it's going to take you forever to sell. But now, on occasion, on a fairly more frequent basis, we're starting to see more and more games actually selling out when they print that number of, of copies. Is that correct? I don't. I think you. Yes, you are probably seeing more in finite numbers. As a percentage, you're seeing less games succeed. So you have a lot more games because we see this from our end. We have lots of games where. It comes in, and people just note the successes, I think. That's a natural thing for us yeah. in the industry. Oh, I see that Euphoria sold out. I see that Nothing Personal sold out. I see that uh, Android, Netrunner sold out, or whatever. It doesn't matter whether it's a Kickstarter project or not. But what they don't see is the same projects that they don't see Android, the board game, second printing, which is still not sold out, right? They don't see the dozens of games, I'm not going to name any, that are in our warehouse that and sold. Right. They sold some, but they didn't sell enough. And so that percentage is not keeping pace with the increase in volume. So I would say as a percentage, it's decreasing. But as a finite number, if it was, let's say there was 12 games every year that were selling more than 5,000 copies, that's probably gone up to 15, maybe 20. Got it, got it, got it. But what you're saying is, is that there's, for every one that's making it, there's a whole bunch more down there that just aren't doing like, it. So if We I'm just broke down as a good anecdote for that. We literally had to have, we have a big recycling dumpster right outside that window. And we recycle boxes and stuff, right? And we have some games where they've been sitting in the warehouse for like two years. And so at some point you go, well, we have to get rid of these. So we were literally breaking down entire pallets of games and recycling them. And because you don't have anything else to do. So those things still happen. That's not, you know, we don't live in a 
necessarily a golden age of everything selling. It's just we do have lots of great games. So the quality of standards has gone up, but that means that the competition is more fierce. And I think that's good at the end of the day, but I think you have to have the expectation as a consumer and as a publisher of what realistic you know, sales figures might be and what realistic cost expectations might be. Are we seeing an increase in expansion? So here I start my question and then I rephrase it. In the past, in the golden age, people, a lot of people talk about a glut of games that came onto the market uh, you know, 20 years ago, 10, 20 years ago. Are we seeing that now? Is this a uh, – everybody used to ask two, three years ago that we were on a bubble. But are we seeing a sustained growth or are we seeing some artificial inflation here? I think this is sort of like the Great Recession is to uh, economic crises. That's what we're in right now. It's a board game glut. But it's not just a D20 bubble, that sort of thing. If you remember the D20 bubble from back when RPGs were huge in 2000, 2001, 2002, you could sell 1,000 copies of anything. That's not the case with board games. It's just that there are a lot more coming out. And so, therefore, you're having more good stuff and you're having a lot more chaff. So I don't think it's comparable to that. And it's gone on too long now because, really, this started back in 2001, you know, 2000, 2001 for board games. And they started coming in from Europe big right the, so, we're talking the settlers of Catan, and then right. the ticket to, you know ticket to ride just had their 10th anniversary mm-hmm. uh settlers of Catan is at their 15th anniversary yeah so some of these games those were some of the early successes that have, have continued to show legs and they continue to sell that's the thing right you go to the top 10 best-selling board games it's not like oh yeah it used to be ticket to ride but now it's this now take an example like puerto rico puerto rico awesome game sells really well does not necessarily sell really well now. It first came out in 2001. So the real question is, or Dominion, take Dominion, hugely popular, but the series is now at an end, right? It's sort of like Harry Potter. It's like, oh yeah, every Harry Potter book is going to sell more than the previous one, except now it's done. Right. So then what happens? So I think you are going to have a life cycle, and that's why we came up with that sort of life and times of a board game, a life cycle for every game. The question is, is it three months and you're just going to sell what you sell and you're done? Or is it years and years and years, and then you can support it with expansions and all of that? And nobody knows. If they tell you they know, they're lying. Sure, you because just be better it's, at guessing. Because it's all change. Because what they would, would would have been a right answer two years ago is completely uh, thrown up in the air this year. So and uh, because there might be a game that comes out that you everybody does this. Oh, they stole my idea, right? You have a bunch of ideas that come together. Monster fighting game, and then King of Tokyo comes out, and you're like, well, I guess we can't do that monster game now because we have to go up against King of Tokyo, or we have to have it different enough that it'll really stand out. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can talk about. That last thing, we only have a couple of minutes here. Is uh, micro, um, not micro games, but micro. Uh, numbers should people start looking for and are we going to start to see people who are just coming out you're going to see it on kickstarter and you're never going to see it hit a retail store you mean micro print sizes yeah that's what that's what i meant they make 500 yeah we are seeing that usually because people realize that their budget is gone so they meant to make a thousand or fifteen hundred and we can only make 500 because they spent too much on art or whatever we got a little visitor there in the background yeah my dogs are barking hey (laughs) uh, there's one of them right there yeah so the uh but i think that you are going to see a lot of those sort of limited edition things and then you'll see some classic games that i mean like fragger games does this every year you know they'll make like sheer panic and they make these awesome games with cool figures and then maybe somebody like mayfair decides to pick it up and do another print run but usually it's just uh, a spellbound that came out they make it they make like a thousand or fifteen hundred and that's it that's it and, you're, and, and I think that's fine. I would prefer that, actually. And it's starting, I think that's starting to change the buying mentality of a lot of people who are starting to realize, look, if I want this game, I better get it now. So, yeah. all right. Hey, Dan, we're out, we're out of time. 
No problem. It's been Thanks very much for having me. Well, I certainly appreciate you coming on the show. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Dan Yarrington from Game Salute. We've been talking about all things uh, have to do with uh, the industry and some uh, realistic expectations of what it means now with uh, such a glut of games that are out there. And don't forget to visit patreon.com slash Richard Bliss to go and pledge for the podcast to keep it going and show your support. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.